I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes Podcast. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Uzuri. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. Our guest today has gotten into the NCAA baseball regional playoffs 15 out of 17 years. Brian O'Connor brings a level of intellect, player discipline, and in-depth knowledge of the intricacies of player development and of dealing with today's college athlete. A native of Nebraska and a Creighton School graduate, he was a pitcher who ended up going back to his alma mater as the pitching coach, got hired to Notre Dame, helped them get to the World Series, and then was brought to the University of Virginia and has just signed an extension. It's my pleasure to welcome Brian O'Connor. Welcome, friends. We have really an interesting guest, an individual who's been in a program for almost 20 years, has re-signed his contract, and he's taken the University of Virginia baseball team to heights they have never been. And he continues to win. And when you're at a school like the University of Virginia that has these huge academic requirements, trying to get young men to come to your program and to graduate and to compete on the level that he's competed, go to Omaha and to compete in the College World Series is extraordinary. I mean, his background, he's a pitcher, and we're going to get into how this all started for him and understand how he's been able to lead the university uh, on unprecedented uh, roads. So, Coach, it's uh, nice to have you aboard. Well, thanks, Jed. I really appreciate you having me on. This is a great opportunity. I'd love to do this because, you know, I've, I've listened to your podcast, um, a couple of them already, and, and um, you know, bits and pieces of it. And I just love, you know, talking with people, talking about sports, talking about leadership, you know, talking about the different things that it takes to be successful. And, you know, Jed, I, you know, you know this, that once you you feel like you have it all figured out, it's going to pass you by. You know? <laughs> and so, you know, really, it's just so it's great. It's great that you're doing this, get an opportunity to share with a lot of different people across a lot of different spectrums and sports. And I'm I'm just honored that um, to uh, that you've invited me to be a part of this. So you grew up in Omaha. How did you get into baseball? How did you become a pitcher? Oh, it, it's, it started at a young age, Jed. You know, my I, I was one of three boys. We we actually grew up in Council Bluffs, Iowa, which is right across from the Missouri River from Omaha. Grew up. My my father was my little league coach. You know, we were always the the boys that were out in the yard playing every sport. What what time of year it was, whether it was basketball or or football or baseball, and just kind of loved competition, loved sports. Got into it from my with, with from my father and my brothers, and just kind of. 
continued to play really all three sports throughout my time, throughout high school and everything, and then just was fortunate to be around really good baseball people that could t uh, teach me the game and, and motivate me and drive me to be the best I could. And, and then it was really, really blessed and fortunate you had to get an opportunity at, at Creighton University, my alma mater in, in Omaha, and, and for a great head coach, Jim Hendry, that you know really is one of my two biggest mentors in my life. And you know Jim gave me a chance to, to pitch at Creighton and uh, get my college education, had a great experience, and just kind of catapulted from there into the business. Well, he brought you back to coach. He brought you back on the staff because you got drafted. You played some minor league baseball, then came back uh, to your alma mater. And, and then you had the good fortune to get recruited to go to Notre Dame and worked your way up to the assistant head coach. Jed, I've been just fortunate. You know, um, I think to be, to progress in whether college athletics, whatever it is, whatever the business is that we do, certainly you, you, it takes talent. It takes extreme hard work. You got to be invested in it and you got to have a passion for it. But then, Jed, you know, it's kind of right place, right time, right? You got you to gotta deliver results. But then you have to, it's kind of who, who have you associated yourself with, you know, and what is timing of things? And so, you know, you spoke about, I, I was fortunate to have played college baseball and played in the College World Series at Creighton in 1991. And then, you know, got a chance with the Philadelphia Phillies for one year. I was a pitcher. I was, you know, I, I laughed yet. I was kind of, you know, I was kind of this, just this, average guy and most people say well what are you talking about average you got a chance to pitch in professional baseball yeah no question I, I'm, I'm fortunate and feel great that I had that opportunity but when I'm sitting in a ball and looking into my right and left and looking to some of these pitchers that all throw seven miles an hour harder than I do and they're bigger than I am and they're younger than I am you know it didn't take me long for after a year to decide that maybe coaching was my my angle and so at my alma mater, I got a chance to be a pitching coach for one year. And then, um, you know, the best friend of my college coach, Jim Hendry, his best friend was Paul Maneri, who had just become the head coach at Notre Dame, was looking to hire a, a pitching coach. I interviewed with him, got the job when I was 23 years old and was with Paul for nine years. Paul just retired as the LSU head baseball coach and had 1,500 wins in his collegiate career and one of the all-time greats in our in our game and got a chance to work side-by-side side with him for nine years at, at Notre Dame and kind of learn the ropes. You know, uh, having a mentor like Paul Maneri, you have a, a chance to learn, all right, how do you build a, an elite college baseball program? And he's the what best. What are the two or three things that you learned, from, learned there? A couple of the things that I learned was um, – you know, Paul, as, as a leader of the program, Jed, he was excellent at, you know, managing the, the players, you know, having the deep-rooted personal relationship with the players. That was evident to me right away that you had to do that to be successful. You know, from a recruiting standpoint and overall program management standpoint, Paul Maneri just was, you know, I learned from him to that being 100% honest and transparent all the time and recruiting, dealing with the players. You know, sometimes players might not like what they hear, but they're going to get the truth. 
And that's something that I learned from him that, you know, these these players, they want the truth. They want to be uh, dealt with like men and be transparent with them, because then if you're that way, then they can they can handle what the truth is and then they can decide how they're going to navigate through their their career. And also too, just, um, you know, I, I, I would say, Paul, I learned from him a certain level of energy that a leader has to have. You, one, you got to be a tireless worker, but two, you know, if you're going to build an elite level college baseball program, you got to not stop, right? And it's not just recruiting. It's not just player development. It's relationship with the fans. It's relationship with upper level administration at your university. There's just so many different tentacles that touch, you know, to, to have an elite college baseball program that all of it is important. And what, to do that, it takes a huge amount of energy and commitment to uh, to be successful. Because um, as you progress at Notre Dame, uh, you make it to the World Series. And then that next year, I think the University of Virginia comes calling. They did. Um, we were fortunate to have really unprecedented success. That was great. And we were fortunate. You know, what happened was I, I was 32 years old yet and had looked at a couple of different head coaching jobs. Uh, the year before I accepted the job at Virginia, I was interviewed for the job, head coaching job at the University of Michigan. And, um, you know, it was just kind of, again, fortunate, right time, right place. And it afforded me opportunities. But what happened is in that offseason in 2003, uh, Craig Littlepage, the athletic director at that time at Virginia, called Paul Maneri about me and said, hey, what do you think and whatnot? And so as time went on, Paul Maneri called me and says, hey, listen, I, I think I just met your new boss. I think this would be a great opportunity. And the more I dug into it, Jed, you know, I didn't know much about the University of Virginia other than in 1996 at Notre, Notre Dame, we played Virginia in NCAA regional. They had won the ACC uh, championship that year at Virginia. And so looked into it, had numerous conversations with Craig Littlepage and just really felt, Jed, that this was one of the kind of like the few sleeping giants in this mm -hmm. country that really ultimately hadn't been tapped into. Right. Um, elite level education. You know, University of Virginia bounces between the number one or two ranked public institutions in this country. Uh, great high school baseball in the state of Virginia. They had just built a brand new stadium a year prior. And then ACC baseball is as good as it gets. So you have that combination and you say, geez, you know, what else what else do you want? You know, that's that's what you want and need to build a great college baseball program. So the ingredients were there. Uh, and just felt like it was a great opportunity. I was fortunate to get the job. And, you know, 18 years later, still sit behind this desk and, and the head coach here at this great institution. So when you came in, what were the one or two things that you had to do to put your brand and your leadership into the program? First, I'd tell you that it was going to start with recruiting. Uh, we had we had some really great players that we inherited here, but um, we needed more of them. You know, my, uh, our left side of our infield was two guys, Ryan Zimmerman, who is still playing in the major leagues uh, for the Washington Nationals, and Mark Reynolds, who went on to hit just shy of 300 home runs in the major leagues. So we we had some stepped into some good talent. We just needed to raise the level of expectation a little bit, Jed. 
and also too from a recruiting standpoint we really needed to get out there and beat the bushes and get more great players to ha- create some depth and things like that so that would say i would say one two was to hire a great staff right and i was fortunate to hire initially two people as my two paid assistant coaches kevin mcmullen and carl kuhn and kevin is still here as my top assistant 18 years later carl was with me for 16 years until he became the head coach at radford two years ago so it was you know it was great people jed you know that right to to have success in sports and teams and business or anything it's you know it's surrounding your recruiting surrounding yourself with the right ingredients but also having the right people uh drive this so it was it was about people the ingredients were here the school was great the conference was great the players in the state were great but then it, it you know it was about the people you know who you're going to bring in and who you're going to surround them with when you think about your staff you had stability i mean one of the tremendous pieces that you described is the stability of and continuity that comes with building a, a successful and sustaining a program because you can win, but sustainability is something that not everybody's able to do. And the, and the fact that you had a staff that was with you and one of the coaches still with you, that had to, that had to be incredible in terms of being able to help you continue to win. Yeah, there's no question about that. You know. Um... I think any of us that lead any kind of organization and and work with a team, a group of people, and, you know, we have in college baseball, we have our team being the players, you know, 35 players and they make up the team. But then as a group of coaches and staff members, we have our own team, right? And, um, you know, we have three, three coaches, we have administrative people, we have trainers, strength coaches, right on academic coordinators, right on down the line, a whole group of 10 people that support these 35 young men. And I'll, I'll tell you the most important thing, obviously hard work and willing to do the little things and all those kind of things being prepared, all those kind of things are critically important for staff to be successful and staff members, but nothing, Jed, is more important absolutely nothing is more important than loyalty, right? If you have disloyalty, in my opinion, within your organization, I don't care what kind of talent you have, you're never going to overcome that. And it will be the number one thing that will tear apart an organization. The players will see it. If we don't have loyalty amongst our staff, now I'm not talking about somebody staying forever. Right. I mean, at some point, we all in our careers got to make the decision as, okay, do I got to step up or I got to step sideways and make moves for what I personally need? But while you're in the organization, you know, we need that commitment, that loyalty, because if you don't have it, the players see it very, very quickly. And it's a it's a flaw. And so we you know, I talk a lot about it with our staff that, um, you know, if, if there becomes a point in day that you cannot be 100% loyal to this organization, then you need to get out um, and go f- find something else that you can be because that's a miserable place to work in. And I've been, I've been so fortunate to have these guys that have been 100% committed to what, takes, what it takes for our organization to be successful. So help our audience understand the scholarship limitations on baseball, on how you can offer a full one or how some universities kind of get around the rules. I mean, there, there, there's different ways that, uh, that, that you can recruit and bring yeah. people on. Yeah. I'll tell you, Jed, if, if for the listeners out there, 
that are really that interested in college baseball, I highly recommend that they get on YouTube and watch a docu- documentary called Uneven. It just rolled out about four months ago. It's about 50 minutes long, and it really explains in detail the scholarships in, in college baseball and the unevenness of it. So what what happens, yet is baseball has 11.7 scholarships for 35 players. Within that 35, we're allowed to have 27 of them, them on scholarship. So, hey, you know, let, let, let's do the math. That's, a, that's an average about 40% per man, right? And so this sport, you know, in today's day and age, everybody's talking in college athletes, hey, we need to pay athletes and this and that, okay? I understand a little bit of that. I get that, right? But we're not even to the point. Our average scholarship in college, Division One college baseball is 40%. We can't start talking about paying our athletes in college baseball until we start, you know, getting them a better scholarship situation, right? So what we have to do is you have to you have to mix and match, and it's it, you know these these kids that are playing on ESPN in the College World Series, and not only just them, everybody in college baseball, those three hundred Division One college baseball programs, every one of those kids is sacrificing something to wear that uniform and play in college baseball. Now, that said, Jed, I personally don't think that there's anything wrong with having a little bit of skin in the game. You know, we we live in a society anymore that everything is want, 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 and give me, give me, give me, right? So I don't think that there's anything wrong with having a little bit of an investment to get that education. Shoot, I mean, the normal college students, that's that's what they do. So it's it's an interesting situation that you got to kind of piece it together you know, you got to. I, I was fortunate to have my undergraduate degree in business, and I used my finance quite a bit on putting these scholarships together to figure out how does the puzzle fit together to have eleven point seven and have an elite championship program. And there's ways, at, depending on where you're at, your institution, Jed, to supplement the eleven point seven. For example, some schools have academic scholarships, and you can combo those with athletic aid. Some schools have. Uh, university financial aid resources that they can use to to combine or do it separately and things like that. So there's creative ways to supplement the 11.7, but that's different at every institution. And some institution doesn't have don't have any of those resources. So it's it's interesting across the landscape of college baseball, Jed, the kind of haves and have-nots. For example, if you're in the state of Georgia. And you run a college baseball program in the state of Georgia, they have the Hope Scholarship in that state. So if young people that are going to play college baseball, if they have a certain grade point average, a portion of their education is paid for that doesn't count against the baseball scholarships. So a college baseball program in the state of Georgia or the state of Florida with the Bright Future Scholarship, they're going to have an advantage over some other states that don't have so-called lottery state scholarships that go to help fund the education for some of these students. So there's some real advantages, you know, when you're looking into deep into these college baseball programs to determine, okay, from the dollars, who has the advantage and who doesn't with the, with the scholarships. I mean, then you have some of the private institutions and they have some endowments that for scholarships and able to do that as well. I mean, I think that again, makes the playing field uneven. It, it, it does. It does. Um, you know, there's certainly schools that have a major advantage yet. Uh, and, hey, you know what? Good for them. 
right? Good for them. They're providing great opportunity to a lot of kids that maybe they don't have to pay quite as much scholarship and things like that. Jed, hey, we all know this. Life is uneven. You know, what you got to do is if you don't, if you don't maybe, if it's not as even, you got to figure out, hey, what can I do to create my advantage? You know, maybe you got to be a little bit better in player development. Maybe you got to find a way, you know, and so I, I just don't, I don't think it's always ever going to be even and you just do the best you can in your given situation. So when a player comes into your, when you recruit a player and you see where they are in terms of their stage of development, what type of individual expectations do you set in relationship to player development as it relates to wellness, as it relates to strength and conditioning, as it relates to mental health, as it relates to diet, all those different areas. How do you structure programs so that you get, you're able to maximize each individual? Yeah, that's a great question because all of those things that you mentioned are, are vital to not only in the recruitment process, right, to show families that we have those resources for their young person, their, their child to develop their skill set the best that to the best of their ability. So one, you've got to provide it in recruiting and show that, hey, we have the, the team, we have the resources for that to happen. And then there's the execution, right? The most important part. We can show people that we have those resources, but if we don't execute on it, then we're falling short of whatever what our commitment is. So, you know, we'll certainly in the evaluation process, we get a feeling and watching the, the young man play and say, all right, how can we help this young person? Maybe it's put up to put on, you know, 20 pounds of strength and muscle in his first two years in college. And then how do we execute that? That obviously is nutrition and strength training and, and things like that. But you know, we identify a little bit of that coming in. We, you know, initially when a young person comes in, we, we, uh, you know, evaluate his body fat. We, we look at him and just put a uh, strength program together. We have a nutritionist that supports our team that our players can meet with and put together an eating plan for them to add strength and things like that. There's obviously serious academic resources. So it's, it's really, you know, everybody has access to those resources, but then it's individual based on the young person on how we're going to execute that. For example, some they're all going to come in initially the first year and have the same academic resources at their disposal from our academic coordinator. But then after they start to matriculate through their time here, we start to determine, okay, who needs that? to continue that level and who can, can we kind of let the reins go a little bit and they can, they can get it done themselves. So, you know, there, we have all those resources, the academic coordinator, the, the nutritionist, the strength coach, the athletic trainer, Jed is one of the most key components in these young men's development because they're here for four years. They're going to get banged up. There's a certain percentage of, of, of games that they're going to play injured right, with a little nick and things like that. That athletic trainer for a baseball player's development is is crucial component in, the, in, in their development. How do you take the information from the different resources that you have? Do you meet with them on a weekly basis so they can talk through your players? So if there are mental issues going on, I mean, some coaches that I visited with, uh, they discuss 
how they're able to integrate all those different resources and how they bring that information together. So if there, if there are underlying issues, especially mentally, uh, that you're able to address those, because those are things that sometimes, you know, individuals don't want to talk about. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe somebody, not your mental coach, but maybe someone else has seen something, you discuss it, and you're able to avoid a, a dangerous situation. Well, Jed, I'm glad you brought that up. This, the, the whole concept of mental wellness, right, is, 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 is critical. It really is. And there's different facets of that, right? There, there is the, all right, this young person really needs our help right now. Um, and they're, and they're really struggling, whether it be with anxiety or whatever it might be, you know, issues going on at home, you know, issues that can happen on a college campus, things like that. Or is it just, or is it more sports performance, right? There's, there's, there's different levels of this. So, you know, we have, we, in, in the fall and then in the preseason and spring, we have daily staff meetings, you know, um, my strength coach, my entire coaching staff, our admin team, you know, our trainer, all those people in there. If there's individuals that we feel like, hey, this this young man needs a lo- little extra support, whether it be nutritionist, whether it be the, the mental coach, right, then our trainer makes that connection with our doctors so we can get, you know, our sports performance people. And we've got great people in this area that can help this young person, right? Obviously with, you know, confidentiality and HIPAA and things like that, I, you know, I'm not involved in those things, you know, because of, but if we do are able to provide that, that direction of those young people that need that, you know, I, Hey, listen, I, I know there's a couple of our players that this year during this year, Jed, that they were struggling a little bit. It was more sports performance related, not nothing, you know, off the field and things like that. It was more, you know, just performing on the field. And, you know, I know because they shared with me, they, they got together with our guy, you know, our mental coach, and he he took them to a different level, right? And I, I just think that that was – and they were awesome. They were the best that they have been in our uniform down the stretch run and, and made a huge difference in helping us get to Omaha. There's the wellness part, but then there's also the sports performance part. And so – there's just so many in these young people's lives. There's just so many things going on and, and you have to keep your ear to it as a coach. You know, that's why I go back to the individual relationships, the time, the being around so you can hear things and talk with players about things to make sure that they're in a good spot to, you know, and if we need to get them help and support, we get that right away. So when you think about building your team, how do you build your team? I mean, when you when you sit down and you're on your whiteboard and you've got all those players listed, you may not want to discuss some of that. Maybe you know confidential and how you build it, but whatever you want to share in terms of as you look at the team, you know how are you structuring it? How are you when you go out to recruit uh, and you look at your your talent? How are you dividing uh, your resources in terms of who yeah. you're going after? What positions are important? Is it the middle infielders? Is it the people that play the outfielders, uh, the hitters, the pitchers, uh, the relievers, the catcher? Help us understand that. Yeah, well, I'll say, Jed, um, first and foremost, it's going to start with good people, 
right? I mean, we have to identify that first. Obviously, skill is, is critical, right, in recruiting. We can't, the elite level we're c- competing at, we can't compromise skill. So there's, we got to see kids that have the certain overall skill level to do it at the elite level. And then we got, we got the person. And in, inside the person is, who are they? How do they carry themselves, right? And, and what kind of student they are. Being in a, a very, very high academic institution, they've got to have a strong desire for being a, a great student. And the value of the degree has to be important to them. So, you know, those are the pieces that we're evaluating in the recruiting process. I was going to say, you also have five pillars that you believe in. So I'm assuming you use that as a screen. Sure. And that's part of the, uh, that's part of the evaluation process. And, and these, you know, you try to look for these things, but the recruiting process happens so incredibly quick, right? But these, you know, these are things that they do within the pro when they're here, but also you want to see these kind of things in the evaluation process. Like, you know, we, I go out and watch young people and I'll be watching them all summer. Are they the last that person to show up with their travel ball team? Right. So like being early is one of these no, take no talent, zero tolerances that I have. Right. Because, you know, first impressions are important. People are right. always judging you. Right. And then like the next one would be, hey, are, are they prepared? Do they know what's going on? Right. Or are they just somebody that shows up? Hey, I'm here to play. Are, are they prepared every day? Right. Great leaders and great and great players, Jed. They're, they're always prepared and they're thinking ahead of their competition, right? And so you, when you watch young people, you, you see that and you, and you, what, when you're evaluating them. And then third, I would say, what's their effort and energy? Consistent effort and energy is going to be vital to that young person's success, not only where they're at right now, but certainly in our organization. I cannot, I can't coach energy. They either have it and love it for the game or they don't, right? And so what I tell young people all the time when we're out evaluating them, how you play when you think no one's watching, that's truly who you are. Anybody can put on a good act for a short period of time because, hey, they know the Virginia coaches in the stands watching them. So, Jed, you know what I do a lot of times when I go out and watch players play? Uh, you know, maybe they go to a high school game in the spring or a fall game. I stand down the line. I don't wear my Virginia shirt, right? I stand down the line. I want them, I want to see how they carry themselves around their teammates and how hard do they play when they think no one's watching. Because that's truly the effort and energy that that we're going to get, right? And I truly believe that's part of the fabric of who they are, right? And then you know, the fourth one I would say, Jed, is is um, the right attitude and body language, right? I mean, so important. You know, our attitude is what influences our actions. When I'm out, not only with the young men in our program, but you're out evaluating people. I don't want a young person that if he strikes out and he mopes and drops his shoulders back to the back to the dugout, right? Um, I don't want a guy that's the last guy out of the dugout. Because I know this in, in in the game of baseball, Jed, it's totally built around failure, right? I mean, if you if you play in the major leagues for for fifteen years and you get a hit three out of every ten times, three out of every ten times, that means they're failing seven times. If you right. do that in the major leagues for fifteen years, they put you in this place. It's in Cooperstown, New York, 
right? right? It's called the Hall of Fame. It's a pretty big, great place. You know, I don't know anything else in life. Tell me what else in life that you can fail 70% of the time and you can be called the greatest of all time, right? I mean, if you're a doctor or a lawyer or an investment guy, you ain't going to be a doctor, an attorney, or an investment guy very long at that failure rate. So them them having the right attitude and body language when things don't go well is really, really important. And then the last thing I would tell you, Jed, these, these kind of five zero tolerances that I have for players in our program, the last one would be treat others with respect, right? People in authority, parents, coaches, teachers, you know, fellow, fellow teammates, you know, um, if, Jed, if, let's think about this. If we just really did this as a society, I mean, this is bigger than just the Virginia baseball program. If we just treated other people with respect, that just that simple thing, wow, wouldn't we live and wouldn't we be in such a great place right now in our country? But sadly, there's too many, there's too many of us out there that don't. You know, and so I have an opportunity in this small little baseball program to teach these young people those things that I believe will be critically important for them, their success in life, but also too to pass it on to other people, pass it on their kids. You know, I so those are the things, you know, ta- you gotta have talent, they gotta have the grades, but those are the things that I, you know, you pay attention when you talk to these kids, right? And you know, I got a young man coming on, on campus today that's going to visit us, and I really want this kid. But as I talk with him today and spend time with him, these are the things I'm going to start to figure out to say, hey, how's this kid wired? Is he going to be good in our clubhouse? Right. You know, and then, you know, the, the as far as what we look for position-wise and things like that, you know, hey, Jed, you know, you know, you know baseball, you better be strong on the mound. If you don't have good pitching, you don't have much of a chance when you get to Omaha and you're in that elite eight. If you can, if you're not really, really good on the mound, you, first of all, you, you're not going to get there, but then you don't have a chance when you're there. And then, you know, position player wise, I believe in recruiting good athletes that are versatile. Yeah. We got to have a good catcher, shortstop center fielder, but I believe in recruiting young men that are really athletic that have versatility. Cause if we have good athletes, then through, through player development, we feel like we can continue to progress their development to be great players, whatever position that is. So when you think about pitching, mm-hmm. you being a pitcher, pitching coach, I mean, how has that evolved in terms of the pitch count, you know, understanding uh, when they've had enough? Uh, that's something that whether it's on your level or at the major league level has become very different. I mean, you take the Tampa Bay approach, the way they go after it, and the way they use statistics and the decision they made in the World Series to take a pitcher out that was, you know, really doing well, but the stats said he'd thrown enough pitches and it was time to take him out. How do you factor that in? Well, I'll say this, Jed. We're, we, we're, we're in a totally different time, right? We're in a completely different time today than we were 10 and 20 years ago in this game from a pitching standpoint. Things have evolved. They've changed. Um, and you have to adapt. You know, if you want to be successful as a coach, you better be be able to adapt to, to a changing environment. And we have that in our game of baseball and specifically in the area of pitching. So many of these guys are into how hard they throw now. Velocity has just went through the roof. 
You know, you go out anymore, you go out and watch kids and recruiting. And, you, you know, it used to be if a kid threw 90 miles an hour, when I got into this thing 30 years ago, if somebody threw 90 miles an hour, you about fell out of your chair and saying, how big of a scholarship can I give this kid? Now, if they're not throwing 90, I don't know if you're going to give them a scholarship. It's just a, it's a different time and player development has advanced so much. There's so much more technology in the game, Jed, that allows, helps you develop these players you know this spin rate and you know where should kids pitch in in the zone to have success uh you know the the daily development through things you can do now to help increase velocity and effectiveness and things like that have just you know shot through the roof and we're just in a in a in a different place now and so it's incumbent upon us you know i have a, a, a you know a pitching coach drew dickinson that's excellent in this and player development that it's incumbent upon us to adapt and develop with the times to understand you know what are the things that are doing to develop these pitchers how do we help them through technology to be advanced and continue to develop you know there's all these things that you're seeing in the the game right now that's that's happening in the major leagues that's you know substances that pitchers are using to uh, to help their spend rate and help their movement and help their their effectiveness. Now we're going through the period of time that that's, you know, they're really trying to crack down on it. And, you know, hey, do we fault them? I mean, anybody in sports is trying to gain every advantage you can possibly gain to to beat your competition. That's what it is. And we shouldn't fault people for that. Now we got to monitor it and, 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 and do what we need to do as long as it's within the rules. So, um, you know, you just – we had a an extreme amount of success this year in our program because we had elite level pitching, um, and we're going to see that play out in the upcoming Major League Baseball draft. And 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 you know we had guys throwing harder than we've ever had them throw before. But also too, Jed, at the same time, you know you're also seeing over the last ten, decade uh, surgeries really really increase and things like that. Um, so it's it's. We're at a fascinating time and pitching, you know, player batters are striking out at an alarming rate at the highest rate that they ever have in the game at every single level at the major league level down strikeouts that are at all time high. Well, that's that's for two reasons. One, the p- pitching is better than it's ever been. Guys are throwing harder than they've ever been. That's part of it. But also, too, the hitters are just trying to hit more home runs. They're not valuing the, the put in the ball, putting the ball in play as much as they were 20 years ago. So when you look at the World Series and what Mississippi State did, they seem to take a different approach in terms of putting the ball in play. They seem to be a team that probably if you looked at the amount of strikeouts they had compared to other teams, they put more balls in play than the majority of the teams that were in the World Series. That, from an outsider, without studying the statistics, watching the games, that would be my take. That is a great observation, Jim, because you are exactly right. When we played Mississippi State, when we were 1-0 and they were 1-0 in Omaha, you started. I started to do the scouting report and look at video and everything, and I said, gentlemen, we're playing a team that – like we haven't played in quite some time. Their strikeouts are like ours. We don't strike out very much. We value putting the ball in play too. And so, and it doesn't surprise me that they won the national championship. And I think that's a big part of it, that they valued, I think, what what ultimately it takes to win a championship. 
you know, a lot of people can get to Omaha hitting the ball at the ballpark, but when you get to Omaha and you're facing that elite level pitching, it's the best pitching in the game, you better be able to put the ball in play. Right. And they did that and and I think that was a big, big reason why they ultimately went won the national championship because all this two strike hits that they had, uh, what was in the end, I believe, with great pitching, what won them the title. When you think about name, image, and likeness now that's coming forth, how do you think that's going to impact your sport? You know, uh, unknown, Jed. I think um, for for the young people, obviously, people have been starving for this for a while and give them the opportunity to to earn a, earn an income above and beyond what their scholarship is. So I'm I'm extremely happy for the athletes that they have this vehicle to be able to do this now not sure how it's going to impact impact baseball yet we'll kind of have to see how it all rolls out I think certainly the uh, the high level football players and basketball players and things like that we'll just have to kind of see what the market is for for baseball I I could see there being a, a, a little bit of opportunity for them out of the gate but you know we'll just kind of kind of see have to wait and see how this uh how it affects all these all these other sports are there any trends that you see moving out as it relates to college baseball? Not too much. I mean, I think you see things from time to time. Uh, you know, obviously the game on the field has changed a little bit, like I talked about with the, with the strikeouts um, and, and more balls being hit out of the ballpark. This year in the NCAA tournament and the NCAA regional is just by far the most ever in the history of our game of home runs. You know, I so I think you're – but we're, we're a – a reflection of the major leagues. You're seeing that at the major league level. I will say, Jed, um, and I know you've seen this over the last decade in, in college athletic departments, the investment, the investment in facilities and coaching staffs in the sport of college baseball has skyrocketed. You know, you look at these stadiums that are being built, $55 million at Mississippi State a few years ago, you know, Right on down the line, these you know fit over fifty million dollars that was put in the facility at Oklahoma State. You know, we t- two years ago we just fit, finished a twenty-two million dollar project here at Virginia to continue to upgrade our facility. So the investment that is being made in college baseball in these campuses across the country is really, really special. And that's exciting. You know, it's exciting because these young men come to these programs, they have an opportunity, a different opportunity that than I had, you know, over 30 years ago to play this game. And uh, the resources that are being pumped into it are pretty darn exciting. Well, again, you've done, you've done such a good job. They gave you an extension. So, I mean, that, that, that in its, in itself is a self-fulfilling gratitude from the university in terms of you being dedicated and helping these student athletes achieve success, but you've got to feel good about that. Jed, I feel great about it. Thank you. And um, you know, it's obviously our, our our athletic director Carla Williams does a terrific job here, and and she approached me about you know extending this contract. Jed, this has been home for me. It's what my kids, all my three kids, know. You know, we've been here eighteen years, and you know, all the, all that aside, Jed, I'll, I'll I'll say this: this is the most important part. I really, really believe in this place, not only the university, right, and, and what the opportunity is here, but I believe in it for young men to have an opportunity to compete, to win a national championship, for them to develop their skills, to ha- play at the highest level of the major leagues, 
you know, it was just the other day that we had 11 or 12 of our former players playing in the major leagues at one time. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the championships. I'm proud of the wins in the Virginia uniform. But every one of these young men come to this institution with the dream of playing in the major leagues. And I believe this place provides them that vehicle and that avenue to be able to potentially achieve that. And then, you know, most importantly is they get an elite level degree. Agree, because they all come here, Jed, really, really believing that they're gonna uh, they're gonna play this game forever, and I hope they have that opportunity to play it at the highest level. But at some point, they're gonna need to go out and earn a living for their their families, and this is the kind of place that I think is a difference maker, not only while they're here and what they learn here, but also the degree value that carries on with them for the rest of their life. It's that insurance policy. It's that insurance policy for the rest of their life that I think is pretty special. Well, congratulations on your success. Uh, we appreciate you joining our audience today. So thank you. Well, thanks, Jed. Thanks for having me on. It's truly an honor. And, and go Hoos.